0: Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Let us pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight through the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As I was preparing for today and reading through the lectionary, I, I assumed that it was I was just going to be giving a, a traditional Ascension sermon, if you will. but as I was reading, I, I kept coming back again and again and again and again to Ephesians 1 in this passage and in particular I kept coming back, To the word hope. Our world is facing a crisis of hope. But I hope that's not surprising to you. It's not anything new. You see, we plunged into this crisis. The moment that sin entered into the world through the fall. And ever since that moment, we have been looking for something, anything that we can, that will provide us with a sense of security, fulfillment, flourishing, and salvation. We know, deep down, that this world is broken. And we readily put our hope in anything that promises to fix it, whether it can deliver or not. As John Calvin has famously said, our hearts are idol factories. And unfortunately, Christians are not immune to this. The church is not immune to this. And since this is the case, I want you to consider the following questions before we jump into today's text. In whom or what do you put your hope when it's not in Christ? And how do you respond when those hopes fail to deliver safety, security, and flourishing? If we can be honest with ourselves, our answers to these questions reveal how easily our hearts and our affections are captivated by things which promise to deliver that which only God can provide. So as you think about these questions, as you honestly search your, your affections, your heart, your motivations. I want us to spend the rest of our time together, quite literally, looking at the hope to which we are called. St. Paul writes, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom wisdom And revelation, so that with the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, there's there's a whole lot in that sentence. That's not even a full sentence. Like, I stopped it, just so you know. There's a lot there to unpack. But, let's begin simply by asking... What is the Christian hope? And to answer, because um, old dead guys usually say things better than I do, I want to read in full the first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks, What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, That I am not my own, but belong body and soul Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholehearted, willing, and ready from now on to live for him. If we jump back a bit to verses 3 through 14 for context, I'm not going to read them, but um, you, can, you can fact check me later. Uh, we see that what I just read is exactly the hope that St. Paul has in mind in our verses for today. He begins his letter by assuring the Ephesian believers that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ. God not only loves them, he has loved them since before the world was even created. He has adopted them as his children. He has redeemed them and forgiven their sins. God has guaranteed, guaranteed that they will share in his inheritance and live with Christ in the new creation. All of these promises have been sealed for them by the Holy Spirit who both lives in them and marks them as God's own forever. This is their hope. These are all the blessings, says Paul, which the Ephesian believers already have. Meaning, the hope that St. Paul prays for is not some new blessing that they have yet to receive. Rather, St. Paul prays that they would come into a deeper understanding and experience and knowledge of the hope and the riches they already have. In Christ hope and riches which are grounded in the immeasurably great power of God but if this is true why is there a crisis of hope not the least of which in the church why do we find ourselves looking to other people and other things for our sense of security well I think N.T. Wright is correct in his book, Surprised by Hope, when he says that people lose hope when they cease to be surrounded by beauty. In other words, to have a lasting hope, it must be anchored in something that is infinitely beautiful, or else your hope runs out. When our hope is found in created things, they are finite. By definition they will have a beginning and they will have an end and when they end our hope goes with them. I've been rereading The Hobbit with my daughter and we, we've gotten earlier in this week to when Bilbo Baggins meets Gollum for the first time and they get into I don't know a sort of middle-earthian rat battle with riddles. <laughs> And I was struck again by Gollum's last riddle. This thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel. Grinds hard stone to meal. Slays kings, ruins towns. And beats high mountains down. Now the thing in question is time. Every created thing that we will put our hope in will eventually be conquered, destroyed, or devoured, given enough time. But Wright makes the connection between hope and beauty. So how do we understand that? Well, my other favorite author with two initials, C.S. Lewis, and others, have argued that Universal human desire, there are all signs that something exists which can satisfy them and which is necessary to sustain our being. We hunger, and there is food. We thirst, and there is drink and water. Here's the connection. Because there is a universal human desire to experience and participate in beauty Something must exist that is both unaffected by time and beautiful enough to fully satisfy our desires and sustain our hope. The problem, as Lewis points out in The Weight of Glory, is that our sinful natures have so distorted our desires and shriveled our capacity for satisfaction that we... Foolishly, put our hope in anything with a fleeting beauty rather than in the God who actually provides all that we need in Christ. He writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. (coughs) What you have to understand about (coughs) the beauty of God in Scripture, excuse me, is that the beauty of God is a reflection of his glory (coughs) and all beauty of creation I thought I was the deacon. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Always a deacon. Yes, sir. (laughs) The beauty of God is a reflection of his glory. And all the beauty of creation is intended to be a signpost, which points us back to God. But as a result of our sinful nature, however, we are blinded to the beauty of God. And in our distorted desires, we love the created rather than the creator. I should say we love the created more than the creator. Creator. The Holy Spirit must enlighten the eyes of our hearts to enable us to see the beauty of God. And even if he does so, our sin makes our vision cloudy. And it will do so until the day that we see Jesus in his beauty face to face. So with all that, let's revisit our original question, which I think we can now rephrase like this. Who or what is more beautiful to you than Christ when you are most afraid and anxious? Your answer is where you place your ultimate hope. Is it money? Maybe your bank account or your 401k? Is it family? What gives you comfort when you're lonely? Are you afraid of being alone? If you're married, are you convinced that your life would be better if only your spouse got their act together? Or your kids and children? Or is it politics? Do you despair when the other political party is elected to office, or in my case, any political party? (laughs) We could go on and on and on and on, but money and family and politics are three areas in which we are confronted daily with the reality that they cannot satisfy our deepest needs and desires. All three are good things. Don't mishear me. They're good and proper. And God has instituted finances for stewardship and sustenance. He has instituted the family. He has instituted law and order in this world. All are good things, but not a single one of them can save you. Good things make terrible gods. We are far too easily pleased. Paul Tripp once wrote on Twitter, no less. Something good actually comes out of Twitter. (laughs) No matter how attractive it may seem, your tiny little kingdom of one has no capacity whatsoever to satisfy your heart. No capacity. When we turn our hope away from Christ and into created things, we are building the security system of our own kingdom rather than resting in the security of God's. Okay, so I am finally getting to the ascension. The good news that we see in the ascension of Christ is that there is a better king than you, and he is over a better kingdom. He is a king who can bear the weight of and sustain our hope. And that means the pressure is off of you. It's exhausting trying to be God. St. Paul writes, I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe, according to the working of that power. God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he, the father, has put all things under his, the son's feet, and has made him head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God displayed his power over Satan, sin, and death in the resurrection of Christ. His power over all earthly and spiritual authority, rule, power, and dominion in the ascension. Now, St. Paul takes his description of Christ's ascension here, Directly from Daniel 7 where Daniel has a vision of the son of man going to the ancient of days and receiving an everlasting dominion and a kingdom which cannot be destroyed. Christ's rule and reign at the right hand of the father is real but it is presently hidden from all and can only be made known to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, who works in us the very same power that God worked in Christ to raise him from the dead and seek him upon his throne. The very same power. The power that conquered death and empire. But a day is coming when the king and his kingdom will be fully revealed for all to see. The Acts of the Apostles teach us that Jesus will return in the same way that he left, while the book of Revelation gives us a vision of what that day will be like. When Jesus returns, he will bring heaven with him. He will throw Satan, sin, and death into hell forever, and he will make all sadness come untrue. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, or suffering, no more war, or death, because Jesus is going to heal the nations. His beauty, and his glory, and our hope will fill the earth as water covers the sea. Grace. This is the hope you already have in Christ as sons and daughters of the King. You already have it. It's yours. I pray that we will all come to know and experience this hope as an ever-deepening understanding through the Holy Spirit. But for those of you who are here today or hear this on a recording somewhere if you've never tasted the forgiveness found in Christ hear again why the ascension of Christ is good news for you your kingdom cannot and will not sustain you time devours all when you make yourself an emperor the empire falls But in spite of your sin and your rebellion against this cosmic king, King Jesus invites you into his kingdom, the kingdom that is everlasting and will not go away so that you can rest in the beauty of Christ and find a forgiveness and a sure hope that will not cease. The beauty that you have been searching for for your entire life Exists in Christ. And by faith, you too can have every spiritual blessing in Christ and be marked as God's own forever by the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.